Today we're in Matthew chapter 16, so if you have your scriptures there at home and your phone or your iPad or whatever you have, please follow along with us, because what Jesus is establishing today is a pattern of life and discipleship that each and every one of us should follow. He's giving us what it looks like, a natural movement from becoming a Christian with a faith statement to understanding the church to going on mission. And so those are my three categories today. Uh, One is a faith statement, two is a church statement, three is a mission statement for all of us. Whether you be disciples from 2,000 years ago in the first century or disciples here today in the 21st century. Now, this, this message begins with a test, a test. We all know tests very well. We start out with tests in elementary school, right? Teachers have to take tests to be certified as teachers. Later, we have the ACT and the SAT and the GMAT and the LSAT. Even priests must take ordination exams. Whatever you do in life, there is a test for that, I guarantee you. Students who take tests have typically undergone a series of study for some time, and now they're ready to graduate to something else, either to another type of testing, another type of schooling, or either into a job. So the test is typically the end of one journey and the beginning of another. And that's exactly what we see here in Matthew chapter 16. The disciples. What does disciple mean? Disciple means a student, one who sits at the feet of a master and and takes in his type of life, his, his views on life and God and theology. So now they have been sitting at the feet of Jesus for almost three years as disciples. Who's the teacher? Jesus, of course. He is rabbi, rabuni. He is the teacher of these disciples. And so what a teacher does is he pours into his students before he leaves his vocation to them. He pours into them before he goes away. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. For almost three years now, he has been teaching them And soon he will go to Jerusalem to suffer and die at the hands of the authorities. Soon he will ask these disciples in a test, are you ready to take on the family business? Because that's what it is. This will be a test for them whether they will move from disciples, students, to apostles. Apostle means one who is sent in mission and apostolic ministry in the world. So three parts of the exam, faith statement, church statement, mission statement. First of all, a faith statement. Look at verse 13 of chapter 16 with me. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now if they were good Hebrew Bible students, they would have automatically gone back to Daniel chapter 7. For in Daniel chapter 7, The promise is that the ancient of days, God himself, will send one who is the son of man. That very phrase, who do people say the son of man is? And that son of man will have dominion and glory and a kingdom, Daniel says, that all peoples and all nations and languages should serve this son of man. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall never pass away, and the kingdom he, he uh, establishes will never be destroyed. So that's the lead-in question. 
Who do people say that I am? Now that's broad enough, right? Who, 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 where are my polling numbers? Who does the general audience, the general public say that I am? And in verse 14, we get the answer. Some of you are saying that he's John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Remember, he's dead at this point. Others say that, Jesus, you're Elijah. Some others say that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets risen from old. Wrong answer, wrong, wrong, wrong. John was a prophet, right, who was in the wilderness preparing the way for Jesus through a baptism of repentance of sin. He was pointing to Jesus. Jeremiah was a prophet, yes, but he was pointing to Jesus. Elijah was a great miracle worker, but his miracles were pointing to Jesus. So Jesus gets serious about this. He asked the final exam question in verse 15. But who do you say that I am? Now, we've got a phrase in the South that's called, the preacher just went from preaching to meddling. Preaching's when it's about somebody else out there. Meddling when it's about you. Who do you, not people, who do you say that I am? Peter, you got your hand up. What do you think? Look at verse 16. Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He must have been paying attention in Hebrew school. That faith statement that he puts out there is very much what Daniel 7 had in mind. You're the Christ. You're the anointed one of God. You are unique in the world. You're son of the living God. You are matchless. You're infinite. You're immutable. Your glory incomprehensible. You are sent from God, your Father, to save this world. Would you get that final exam question right if Jesus asked you? Is Peter's answer the one that you would have given this morning? If not, I challenge you to investigate that question. Who do you say that I am? Next month, Deacon Jeff Jacobs will be leading an Alpha course. One of the great questions of the Alpha course is that exam question. Who do you say Jesus is? Because each and every one of us has to answer that question for ourselves. Paul says in Philippians 2.10, At the name of Jesus, every knee must bow one day, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue must confess what Peter confessed, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of his Father. No one, I repeat, no one makes it to heaven apart from that faith statement. If you are out there this morning and you believe that there are many ways to get to heaven, Elijah or John or one of the prophets or Muhammad or Gandhi, please know that Jesus didn't leave that option on the test. Those are all wrong answers. C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, he said, let us not come to the Christian faith with any patronizing nonsense about Jesus being just one among great, many great human teachers. He did not leave that open to us, he says, and he did not intend to. Every person must choose for themselves to follow Peter in his faith statement or to choose something less than Christ, which is a lie and wrong. C.S. Lewis boiled it down to either Jesus was a liar who taught these things about himself and he meant to delude and, and run people away from the truth, 
Or he was a lunatic who thought he was the son of the living God, but he really one of John's gospel. He pours out his apostolic spirit on all 12 of the apostles, not just Peter. In verse 21 of chapter 20 of John's gospel, it says, Again, Jesus said to the disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, remember an apostle is a sent one, so I am now sending you to become apostles. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. See what Jesus does there? He makes all 12 to be on apostolic mission in the world for his glory. And then he creates in that moment a wonderful thing, and we call it the church. He says that my church will be built not on Peter, but on his confession of faith, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the creed upon which the church is built. So let's stop and ask ourselves, what is the church? Uh, did you know that if you went to a building in the first century and said, I went to church this morning, the early Christians would think that you had lost your marbles. The church has never been about the building. The building's simply the place where the church gathers. The church is the people. I will build my church, Jesus says. I will build a, a gathering of people. And the word that is used there in Greek is ekklesia. Ek, meaning out. We still have, the, we got an exit sign at that door, which means that's the way out. So ek and kaleo, the word in Greek for call. So literally the church is the called out ones. Called out of our secular jobs, out of our homes, to assemble and gather together as a community to gather for worship as we're trying to do as best we can with COVID, to gather for Bible study and prayer and mission and apostolic ministry in the world. In other words, folks, there is no concept of Lone Ranger Christianity. Jesus would never have recognized Lone Ranger Christianity. There is no do-it-yourself plan in the Bible. It's always through the church. But sometimes we Protestants fall into that, don't we? Now, don't see this as a knock. If you're at home and you got special conditions that prevent you from church, even when we open up on September 13th, please, stay there. That's okay. However, the church in its fullest, the church in its best sense, is the gathered people of God. Some of us think that we can just stay home and maybe watch Charles Stanley, or I guess today that would be Stephen Furtick, and Read a page out of Jesus Calling in the morning and maybe say a one-minute prayer at night and think that we are saved, that we are the church, that we are the people of God. And yet I think that Jesus would not recognize that as true Christianity. Apart from the ministry of the local church, the generous giving of the saints of God to the things of the kingdom, the gathering together of worship, gathering for corporate prayers, gathering for the Holy Eucharist that Jesus himself established for the hearing of God's word and the praising of God's name in community. That's the, Jesus, that's the church that Jesus would recognize. In the Nicene Creed, we say every week, we believe in the one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. It is the place where we affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of our sins it is the place when together as community we look forward to the resurrection of the dead on the last day. 
We look together as in community as we eagerly await the life of the world that is to come. Look at the weightiness that Jesus places on the church. Not the individual, but the church as a body of gathered individuals. Look at verse 19. And I will give you, Jesus says to these apostles who are founding churches now, who are sent to found these churches, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever the church binds on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever the church looses on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Think about the weightiness, the gravity of that. Church, you are given the kingdom keys to bring unbelievers through the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ into the gates of salvation, the keys of heaven. You are given authoritative keys to bind up and to loose people from sin through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And when you forgive somebody in the church and pronounce that absolution, guess what? They're not only loosed here on earth, but they're loosed in heaven. Friends, I've been a priest for a long time, and I I never take that absolution lightly. When I pronounce it, I understand that this is what Jesus was saying, that whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. Now to your ordination. Uh, Apostolic succession, that's another word that a lot of people don't know about. But what it is, is Jesus prayed upon these 12 apostles, breathed his spirit into them. Then they went out as apostles and formed other Christians and other churches. And they as bishop would lay hands on another bishop. And three people would lay hands on another bishop. And a long line of historical succession all the way down to Mark Lawrence. That's apostolic succession. And so the spirit that Jesus conferred on these apostles was also given to Mark Lawrence for his ministry as an apostle. But it gets better. And when he lays his apostolic hands upon you, you've got 2,000 years of the weightiness of Christianity upon your head. And some of that same Holy Spirit is being breathed into you for apostolic mission. Jesus gave apostolic authority to these apostles so that they could give it to you. So that you'd receive a portion of that spirit and that spirit would empower you for apostolic mission. Last point, mission statement. Look at verse 18. We've got the faith statement. We know what the church is built upon, the faith that uh, Peter confessed. We understand now the church to be the people, the called out ones who are in apostolic ministry. Finally, the mission statement. Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell. Now, I didn't understand this verse until rather recently, maybe the last few years, and so I was wrong. And if my wife is watching, she's got a big smile on her face, because I never admit that I'm wrong, but I'm wrong. I was thinking that this verse was about the protection of the church from Satan. I thought that this was about the church being passive and fearful, that, that, that we need to create a safe room in the church because Satan's pounding at the doors of the church trying to get in. But that's not the case, is it? You ever been in the Holy Land? You, you, what you'll see in the Holy Land is walled cities with these impregnable walls that are almost impossible to get through. But the one weakness, the one vulnerability of every city was the city gates. That was hard to defend. And if the gates of the city fell, it was game over. The city would be overrun and overtaken. 
Listen to what Jesus says about the gates of hell. They cannot prevail against his church. It's not that the church is vulnerable to Satan. It's the gates of hell need to be stormed by saints. It is Satan that should be fearful, not the church. Jesus is saying that the apostolic church should be storming the beaches of hell, storming the Bastille, tearing down any walls of hostility or evil or injustice or oppression that we find in the world. Whatever strongholds that Satan has created in the church or out in the world, we are called to uncover them, to attack them, to bring them down, and to know that the very gates of hell cannot prevail against Christ's church. So I'll end with this. Paul says in Ephesians 6, he gives us the coats of armor. Remember, the, the full armor of God. But there's one weapon on offense that's probably the most important gift of God. And that is to brandish the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, the truth of God, the Word of God. Satan trembles when we bring the truth into the darkness. So, I'll end with this. The apostles, the church, we come to church, we gather in community to be strengthened in our faith in Jesus Christ, that he is truly the Messiah, the Son of the living God, through word and sacrament. And when we understand rightly the church, we know that we're on apostolic mission. Through our confirmation, we are to go out and bring the word of God to a sinful and darkened world. And we are to go forward with the word and love of Jesus Christ so that the very gates of hell will be taken down in Jesus' name. To the glory of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.